Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mendenhall. And I'm Pete Carroll, and together we are Three Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins, because that's when the real drama happens. So what are you waiting for? Follow the Ring MMA show right now on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed. And come join the best community in MMA. Peace! We're out of here. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Oh, baby, it is an early Wednesday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski, after what was a nightmarish Tuesday night for the New York Knickerbockers. And I'm actually very happy about the fact that we decided to wait until this game wrapped up against the Dallas Mavericks before we unveiled Daniel Jones and the return of Mike White and, and, and all the football mumbo-jumbo we got to get to. That is, I thought Friday night, and the Knicks losing the way that they did on Friday night was a candidate for worst loss of the year. This one has got to take the cake. The Knicks, and I understand it without Jalen Brunson, and I understand RJ Barrett goes down and basically misses the remainder of this game, only played two minutes on Tuesday evening. But the Knicks shorthanded get a monster game from Randall. They get a monster game from Mitchell Robinson. They get a spectacular offensive performance from Quentin Grimes. You're thinking. The Knicks, after losing a bunch of games in a row, three straight losses in Dallas, hot Dallas team, going to take them down, going to survive the Luka onslaught that you saw in the fourth quarter. You have a nine-point lead with 40 seconds to play. Think about that for a minute. The Knicks had tonight, I want to make sure I have it right, a 110-101 lead with 44 seconds to go. You need to win that game 100 out of 100 times. I'm sorry. Nine-point lead, 40 seconds to play. That game's got to be on ice. I don't care who is on the other side of the court. And I get it. Doncic is great. What you saw at the end of that game was inexcusable, unacceptable, bad basketball. From missed free throws, fouling Luka when you shouldn't be fouling him, the end of the game is going to make you drink. There's no other way to say it. Up three, you foul properly, right move, right course of action, and what happens? He makes the first. They don't have a timeout. You know, you know, you know Luka Doncic is trying to miss that second foul shot. I was just talking about it with Stefan a few minutes ago. You could make the argument they should have been a little bigger. You could do that. But the guys who are on the floor, box out. Not difficult. Box out. They don't. Doncic ends up with the ball in his hands. Boom, ties the game. And you knew, let's be real about this, you knew the minute this game was going to overtime, the Knicks were dead to rights. And now the Knicks, who were playing really good ball, feeling good about where they were, back to the pack in the Eastern Conference. Four straight losses. 
18 and 17 on the year. That's a rough one. That's the worst loss of the season. Nine point lead with 40 seconds to play and you lose the game. And I don't want to hear it. Doncic was great. He had 60 points. It should have been 50 and it should have been a loser if you do what you're supposed to do at the end of the game. So that, that, that's an incredibly tough pill to take. That really pissed me off. Holy smokes, that was terrible. Now, I want to give this team credit because I, I was with a net fan earlier today. They wanted me to show them some love. They, they made it a point. The great Ryan Seuss told me, he goes, when are you going to show my team some love? I said, I'll show your team some love because they're playing out of their freaking minds right now. That was a great win they had last night against Cleveland. The Nets now have won nine consecutive games. They have had some statement wins in that period. A big win on Friday night against the Milwaukee Bucks. A big win Monday against a very, very good Cleveland Cavalier team. And listen, the blueprint to me with Brooklyn is very simple. It is a team that has been far more committed to playing defense since Jock Vaughn has taken over. I want to give him a lot of love for that. They are getting after it far better defensively than they did under Steve Nash. He's also wise. He's playing dudes that if you're not going to give them anything on defense, your ass is going to be on the bench. That, to me, is what's been impressive about Jock Vaughn and the way he's run Brooklyn. Guys who commit to playing defense, you'll play. If you don't commit to playing defense, you'll be on the bench. It also helps that Irving and Durant are playing out of their freaking minds. Now, Brooklyn's always this ticking time bomb. When is Durant going to go down? When is Kyrie going to go down? When is the next saga of Kyrie Irving going to strike? That could happen at any moment because it's happened way too often with this team. We have seen Brooklyn have some really impressive stretches of basketball. We have. They've done that over the last three years. Does it feel different? A little bit. And I think it's because of the way that they're committing on the defensive end. And it seems like a lot of the drama and a lot of the subplots have gone away and they've committed to getting after it. Both ends of the floor. And they have two of the best players in the NBA on their team. That has the net fan dreaming of championship hopes once again. That is what the net fan is thinking right about here. It's late December. They got a long NBA season they got to get through. Let me see a drama-free net year. Let me see the Nets in the top four in the Eastern Conference. And then they could take their shot come playoff time. But you could put aside dumping Kyrie, trading Durant, all the stuff we were talking about in October. Now that focus is back to where it was. It's all or nothing for the Nets. And we'll see if they can uh, see that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But got to give credit where credit is due. Nine straight wins. Red hot over the last month plus. Call me impressed. Super, super impressed. Now, the football. Monday, we find out news that Jeff fans desperately wanted to hear. That they really needed to hear. Mike White will be back at quarterback Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. And barring injury, Mike White will be the quarterback of the New York Jets for the remainder of 2022. That's a great thing if you're a Jeff fan. The position was as bad as can be with Zach Wilson. Mike White has played well. But I'm going to caution everybody. He's not 100%. I think he's good enough to give it a go, but he's not 100%. How is his body going to hold up over the remaining two games? That's a million-dollar question going into this Seattle matchup. The oddsmakers clearly like the Jets more with Mike White, as they should. They went from Pickham to now a minus-two favorite on the road against a reeling Seattle Seahawks team. The offense is far more potent is far more competent, especially in the passing game, now that Mike White is back. That's good news for Garrett Wilson. That's good news for Elijah Moore and any of those Jet playmakers. But to me, can the Jets run the football against a team that's been putrid at stopping the run? Jets have got to find a way to establish their running game that has been MIA over these last couple weeks. They will need it in the final two games. And you guys know I'm a big odds guy. And my football team that I've been giddy about all year, I feel like I got the ultimate lump of coal. I talked about it with two of the other night. Now I kind of feel bad because it sure seemed like he played that second half against the Green Bay Packers with a concussion. But now Miami is in all sorts of turmoil. I bet you're probably going to see Teddy Bridgewater on Sunday, and there is a very good chance that Tua has played his last down of 2022. But yet, the oddsmakers at FanDuel and the oddsmakers out in Vegas, they're not stupid. They don't make these numbers up, you know, 
throwing a dart. They got a lot of wise guys. They got a lot of sharp guys who are figuring out this number to go and get two-way action. Well, I'm looking at the odds for the playoffs. And I was stunned when I saw this early today. Absolutely stunned. The Miami Dolphins are still minus 220 to make the playoffs. That number to me is way too high with the way the Dolphins have looked and now with the two news that just came down. The Jets, on the other hand, are plus 390 to make the playoffs. I think that's a really good number. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not trying to put the kibosh on you in any way. I would throw a couple shekels down on the Jets at plus 390. That means they got to win the next two. That's it. And get a New England loss along the way, either against Buffalo or against the Miami Dolphins. I, I, I love that number for the Jets. Jets are at plus 390. New England is at plus 430. Think about that for a minute. That number is way out of whack, in my opinion. So with all due respect, nerds, wise guys, odds makers, and I know a lot of you, sharks, a lot of you spend your life doing this crap, this line is too high. Because I think the Jets are far more live than plus 390. You're listening right now if you're a Jet fan. FanDuel Sportsbook, Jets to make the playoffs. My emotional hedge. I'm on it. I am 1,000% on it. Bet it earlier today. Because that way, week 18, it's win-win for me. I'm either going to make some money or I'm going to be celebrating my team without its quarterback going to the playoffs. Probably be a sacrificial lamb against Kansas City or Buffalo or whoever. So, yeah, I'm down on my football team. Sucks. Uh, I went from the most feel-good season I've had ever to like the most miserable I've been in a long, long time. So I am miserable about my football team. But anyway, good that Mike White's back. Plus 390, Jets make the playoffs. Hop on that. Thank me later. FanDuel Sportsbook. Now, quarterback in the New York Giants is going to join us. It's pretty simple for the Giants. Winning in. The Colts look like a dead team walking offensively. Nick Foles looked like a guy who hadn't played quarterback in a year and a half. This Indianapolis team stinks in the second half of these games with Jeff Saturday. Go win the game. You're going to hear from the Giant quarterback. I thought there was a whole lot to like from him and this Giant offense against the Minnesota Vikings. And that'd be a confidence booster for me. If I'm the Giants, that I get another shot at Minnesota. I think they match up well. I really do. So here's what we got cooking on this pod. Daniel Jones will join us. And then we're going to have Greg Zuckerman from the Wall Street Journal. Investigative reporter for the Wall Street Journal. He's a big New York sports fan. He came into my life. He's fantastic. It's going to be a very unique conversation. You're going to hear me break down some stuff with Steve Cohen and, and what was going on with Steve Cohen on Wall Street. I'm intrigued by that. Greg lives an interesting life. I was fascinated. So he's going to join us, and then we'll have Larry test my trivia knowledge where I need a kick in the ass. There's no other way around it. All right, quarterback of the Giants, up next. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's welcome in the quarterback of the New York football Giants. They have a monstrous winning in game against the Indianapolis Colts on New Year's Day. The quarterback of the New York Giants, Daniel Jones. Buddy, welcome back. Uh, hope you had a good Christmas. What's shaking, dude? Not a whole lot. How you doing? DJ, I'm doing all right, man. Listen, good effort out of you guys. There's no other way around it. That was a back and forth, thrilling game. Not the result you're looking for losing on a 61-yard field goal, but... You know, to me, watching that game, going back and forth with the Vikings, looked like a playoff game, felt like a playoff game. You're in the middle of it. Did that environment, did that game, in many ways on Christmas Eve, have like a playoff-like feel to it? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I've, I've never played in the playoffs. Uh, 
So tough to tough to say, but yeah, I mean, it was certainly competitive and, and, uh, guys going back and forth and, and it felt like, uh, you know, we played well at times, did some things well, you know, ultimately not enough, needed a few more plays, uh, for us, but, uh, they're a good team. Minnesota's a good team. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we can build off a lot of, a lot of stuff from, from, uh, some, or Saturday. You've played in some crazy environments. There's no doubt. Seattle earlier in the year, Minnesota is a crazy environment, but it felt like you guys were well prepared for it. It felt like the offense was very much in sync for a good majority of this game. Would would you say that this was the best as a whole for four quarters, DJ? You've kind of felt about the offense as a whole here? Um, I thought we had good rhythm. We had uh, you know, move the ball well consistently and we're executing um we're executing pretty well. You know, I think there's a few things that um Held us, held us back. I think the two turnovers were were big and, and hurt us. I think uh, a couple of those drives we stalled out, um, where we really had a lot going prior to to a couple plays. So I think that you know you look at a couple of those things and see where you can clean up uh, clean up what went wrong there. But you know, other than that, yeah, I thought you know we moved the ball well, did a lot of things well, and and uh, like I said, a lot we can work with going forward. Listen, you were cooking for basically this entire game. I thought this was one of your best games of the season. Late in the fourth quarter, you throw the interception. And DJ, I know I love this, and I'm sure a lot of Giant fans love this as well. It seemed like you were not phased and you were not shook at all, getting right back in rhythm, getting back into the groove right after that block punt later in the game, and then orchestrating and taking the team down on what ended up being a game-tying touchdown drive. Would you say, DJ, these situations for you, as you kind of progress throughout your NFL career, it's easier for you to kind of shake off a mistake, knowing, hey, listen, I, I feel good about this offense. I feel good about this team. I've been in these environments before. Would you say that's changed for you from your rookie year to where you are right now, or not necessarily? You kind of had the same mindset Either way, like, hey, I throw a pick. It is what it is. I got to move on to the next drive in the next series. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the more, um, you know, the more you play, the more you get better at, at bounce back from those situations. And um, I think, you know, that's always what you're trying to do. Even early on, you know, in my career, I think, you know, you're always trying to bounce back and play the next play and not let it affect you. But you get better at doing that the more you play, I think, and, and uh, the more you practice. Uh, you know, mentally, how to how to handle certain situations like that, and, and uh, I think that's a that's a big key for playing quarterback. Um, you know, at any level, but especially this one is being able to bounce back and uh, not let it affect your decision making going forward. So it was an awesome drive to tie the game after the block punt. You need to get the two point conversion. W was that one of your favorite throws, favorite plays of the year? I felt like everybody going nuts watching Bellinger find a way to catch that two-point conversion to tie the game there. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was a that was a big play. and um, Big play by Bellinger there um, to find the space in the back of the end zone. And two-point play, you're trying to extend it, do whatever you can to to, uh, to get it in there and, and, and give yourself a shot. And, and he did a really good job coming up with that catch, feeling the space back there. and. Uh, yeah, it's a big play for him. I feel like, DJ, he's made a lot of big plays for you when he's been in there. Going back earlier in the year, felt like you guys had a good rapport and a good chemistry. Now he's come back, and I kind of feel the same sort of vibe, same sort of feel. Is he somebody that when you're down in that red zone area, when you're trying to get a third down, do you have, like, an extra sense of comfort having the big tight end? Yeah, I got a lot of lot of comfort or, or a lot of faith in him, trusting him to, to make the play. Like you said, he's... He stepped up in a lot of those key moments for us and, and made plays and been consistent for us. So certainly have a lot of faith in him. He's done a, done a great job. DJ, that's a really good team that you guys played on Saturday. That's a team that's been finding ways to win basically all season long. They're going to be a playoff team. They're going to win their division. And let's be real. I know you guys didn't win the game, and I know you guys don't want to hear about moral victories, but you were... You were dead even with the Minnesota Vikings. Is that the sort of game, like we saw it with the Giants many years ago, when Eli was a quarterback, they played New England. They played New England tough, final game of the year. They end up getting New England again. We know what happened. Eli's signature moment, David Tyree, you name it. Is that the sort of game, because you find a way to play well, 
you're in the game, you're having confidence. If you were to match up with Minnesota again, is that advantageous, you think, for you guys down the road, knowing you could play with a team like that? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a good team for sure. Like you said, they've, they've beaten a lot of, a lot of people and, and, um, they're good in all three phases. So, um, yeah, I think we did some things well, we moved it well, ultimately not enough to win the game. And and that's what, uh, you know, we're we're focused on, on how we, how we take the next step, how we, uh, do those couple things, how we make those few more plays and, and put ourselves in a better position. But, you know, we're, we're confident. We've been confident in our, in our ability. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot we can take from that game, a lot we can uh, we can continue to grow with going forward. So so that's what we're going to focus on. So I already heard the quote from your head coach. It's just another game on Sunday, right? That's it. That's what we're saying in Giantland. Just another game Sunday. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think um, you know everyone everyone knows the implication. You know, everyone understands um, you know what happens if we win the game and, and what that does to our playoff situation. But at the same time, I think, you know, we all got to understand that's only going to happen uh, if we take care of, of one step at a time, if we, you know, prepare the right way this week and then, and then, uh, you know, play our, play our best game on Sunday. So, um, you know, it's an important game. We know that, but, um, you know, we're going to do everything uh, like we've been doing to prepare as well as we can. Uh, I know it's New Year's Eve Saturday. You're going to have to put your New Year's plans on hold because you got a football game to play on Sunday. But when you got a game like this where you're winning in, is uh, the intensity level, is the excitement level, is it is it all ratcheted up, DJ, in, in, in a game like this, knowing what's on the line, knowing what's at stake? Like, you know, I feel like it'd be human nature just to have a little extra excitement level about the fact that you guys have a chance to make the postseason for the first time since 2016. And listen, you in particular, you have a chance to make the postseason as a quarterback of the Giants for the first time in your career. Like, I I know you got to focus. I know you got to take care of business. But that, like, anticipation feeling, that, like, excitement level, it's got to be ratcheted up a little bit, no? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, think yeah, everyone, no one's going to have an issue getting getting amped up for this game or being, you know, excited for the opportunity. And like I said, we, we know what, what's, uh, what's at stake. We know, we know what, what the opportunity is, but, um, I think we're, we're also, uh, you know, we also understand how we're going to get there and what we got to do, um, in order to, to play our best on Sunday. So you get Indianapolis, they play Monday night. Are you, are you one of these guys? Like if you know, you're playing an opponent and you have an off night, the, and you're going to see all the film anyway. So it's whether you watch the game live or not is besides the point. Is that something you will do? Will you watch the like if you have an off day and that team's playing Monday night? You watching it all? Or you saving it for the film room? Uh, I watched. I think I watched the first half and then I went to sleep, or most of the first half and went to sleep, and then uh, I watched it this morning. Uh, you know when we got in and watched film. So um, yeah, they get after the know. quarterback, DJ. <laughs> that team gets it. For a team that didn't have anything to play for yesterday, they get after the quarterback, Indianapolis. They do. Yeah. No, they're they're a good defense. They're a good defense. They're a good team. Um, I think uh, you know they got got a lot of good players on defense. That front's good, and and good players in the back end. Um, so you know we'll we'll prepare and and uh, you know we'll have a plan for them. But but they're certainly a good defense. Have you noticed a little extra burst out of Saquon the last few weeks? Because it, it seemed like in that Washington game. And then watching him run at the end of the game to score that touchdown. That was the Saquon Barkley we were seeing early in the year. Feels like he got a second wind here these last few weeks, DJ. Yeah, he's been he's been playing well. He's been playing really well. And and uh, you know, I'd say he's been playing well. He's been playing well all year and and uh been huge for us uh game after game, week after week. Um, you know, playing running back in the NFL, you you uh you take a lot, take a lot of uh take a lot of hits, but he's been um, he's been rock solid all year. So New Year's Eve out the window this year. You know, that's what happens when it's on an NFL weekend and you guys are playing New Year's Day. Uh, DJ, I'm not a part of the giant planning committee and I'm not trying to put the kibosh on this or anything, but hey, you guys win uh, on Sunday. You guys can have a nice little belated New Year's celebration after the win. That's the idea, right? <laughs> that, not that you guys needed any more motivation to go and win this game, but that's one hell of a party Sunday night if you win. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we've we've thought that far ahead. I don't know if I don't think Coach Dable is going to allow that to happen. I'm allowed to have those thoughts. I don't even think you're allowed to have those thoughts. But hey, dude, you go and win a game on Sunday. That's how you ring in 2023, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the celebration in the locker room would 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 be enough. But um, we're excited. Yeah, it's a it's a huge opportunity. Um, as far as wrapping up the Christmas holiday, a- any cool presents to report or uh, n- nothing of significance? A lot of socks and t-shirts and that mumbo jumbo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got some. I got some good stuff. I got um, uh, got some clothes and and uh, yeah, some books. I mean, nothing, uh, nothing crazy. But it was, any, it was any, any, what's on what's on a Daniel Jones reading list right now? You big, you big book guy. I didn't know that. Uh, I try to read a little bit. Um, That's the Duke education in you. That's what's coming out right now. You do, um, you know. My mom gave me David Goggins' new book, so I'm gonna read that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I try to try to read when I can. Nothing crazy. What What'd you get for Christmas? You Honestly, dude, uh, I got new luggage, which I needed. Um, when I'm at yeah. Super Bowl week, you know, we gotta have the big suitcase ready to go. Yeah. So we got that taken care of. Dude, the bun, I, I used to hate getting clothes. That was like the worst. You'd get clothes for Christmas. You'd be like, this stinks. I don't want this. Now, dude, it's all I need, man. When you're on TV all the time, DJ, you got to be looking good, man. There you go. There you we go. can't all have a stylist like you, man, making sure that you're looking fly <laughs> for uh, uh I don't know. Well, I don't that, know that's coming. That's coming. Well, so what will be, do we know what we're wearing Sunday yet for the game, the walk-up? Or is it, do you decide that like the day before? Like, oh, no, not really. Uh, that's the, that's a night before type thing. When I'm packing for the hotel, I just I figure it out in, in a couple minutes. Yeah. So you like on the verge? Do I go suit? Do I go like with the uh, the quarter zip? So like you, you got options though. We we yeah, mix it up. For, but for for away trips, I'll wear the suit because we're traveling and you're on the plane and everything. And I don't know for the home games, I, I uh, I'm more casual for those. So. Um, I like that. Yeah. You're dressing down a little bit when you're at home. You're a little bit more comfortable at home. And, you know, when you're on the road, the one time a year you're in Dallas or Washington or Philly or whatever, you, you break out the suit. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. That's it. That's all it is. Well, listen, I look forward to the suit game next week. We'll, we'll try to get a sense for where you're going there. <laughs> Best of luck Sunday. Sunday. I was thinking Saturday, but it's like, no, no more Saturdays, at least for a couple of weeks. Maybe in the playoffs, you guys are playing on a Saturday. Dude, I want to be talking about the playoff. New York football giants. So go get it done Sunday. Go get them. Keep kicking ass. All right, DJ? All right. Appreciate you, JJ. That's Daniel Jones, the quarterback of the New York football giants. We're coming right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I always love when I get the opportunity to do something a little different here on New York, New York, where I get to get inside the mind of Somebody who's doing all sorts of cool stuff. They're working at the Wall Street Journal. They're writing inspirational children's books. They're in, in investigating this, that, and the other. And yet, I come into their world. So, Greg Zuckerman, you're nice enough to give us a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm glad that we got introduced. I'm glad, number one, that you're a big Yankee fan. But welcome to the show. And, and I got to know, how did I stumble into your life? That That's really my million-dollar question for you. Yeah. Hey, great to be here. So JJ, I'm a late night guy. I write a lot at night. I think better at night. Everyone's asleep and I'm downstairs in my office and uh, I used to listen to you on the fan and I'm, yeah, an obsessive Yankee guy. And, you know, some of those losses have been painful, but we had some, some victories also over the years. So yeah, I used to listen to you back in the day. I appreciate that support. I'm glad that you can join us now on the podcast. And as someone who is a diehard Yankee fan, would you say for you, these last eight or nine years, tougher than the 80s, similar to the 80s? It's a different vibe because the 80s, you, you didn't have these extra playoff teams. The Yankees won more games than anybody, but they had really nothing to show for it from 81 to 1995, didn't go to the playoffs. This team has gotten to the playoffs. They've been close, but they haven't been good enough. 
level of frustration? Is it worse now or was it worse then? Oh, that's a good question. I would say worse then. Then uh, it had been a long time since we had really too many um, championships. I'm still old enough to remember and enjoy the Jeter days, the Bernie days, et cetera. So I'm still enjoying that. And you had 2009 too. Um, and also, yeah, I remember just coming up short in some of these late, late season games against Toronto and Winfield and, and some of that stuff is still stinks. So yeah, am I, am I thrilled that, that, that we, we haven't reached where we want to reach last few years? No, but it's not quite as bad. Um, no surprise that Aaron Judge gets the bag from the Yankees. I wish I had his agent. You know, I wish I had his bet on it, prove it year when I was going into a contract year. Did you have any doubts about the Yankees and Aaron Judge coming to an agreement? I, I, I did. I, I was worried about San Fran. You hear all that talk about they'll spend anything and he's a local guy. Now, listen, he, he lives down in Florida now, so you got to remember that. But his wife is from the Bay Area, too. And also, you know, you, you, you if, he, if you're him, what's the reason to come back, given that their lineup is pretty much the same? And I was worried he would see that and just say, I'm going to start fresh. I'm, I'm thrilled he's back, but we got to build around. So one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show, in addition to all the wonderful work that you're doing, but you can get inside the mind of Steve Cohen, which is fascinating to me because now he owns the other baseball team in town. He's spending a gazillion dollars, but you spent a lot of time profiling and looking into Steve Cohen back in his hedge fund Wall Street days. Before we get to Cohen, do you think his presence has now influenced Hal Steinbrenner, who has wanted to spend but doesn't want to go above and beyond, doesn't want to act the same way necessarily that his father acted as far as, you know, getting this guy, getting that guy. He wants to be far more practical and businesslike about it. Cohen's coming in. He's signing everybody under the sun. He's spending money like a drunken sailor, and he's doing it for the other team in town. Have you noticed an influence? Because I have. To me, Hal Steinbrenner has clearly felt the heat from the Steve Cohen presence. I think that Rodon contract's a perfect example of it. I don't know if Hal Steinbrenner signed in that contract two years ago. Uh, Greg, thankfully, Cohen is kind of getting Hal to, to buck up a little bit here. Yeah, at the margin, there's got to be pressure that he's feeling. He'll pretend, he'll act, he'll say, I don't care about the back pages. But the Yankees usually dominate back pages and they want to continue to do so. You got yes, you got viewers, et cetera. That said, I think the thing that people don't realize is Steve Cohen is on another level in terms of wealth. And people are like, well, you know, Hal's got to keep up. He should keep up. Why isn't he spending? I'm not going to say he shouldn't be. Listen, I pay these tickets and you and I are subsidizing that team and, the, and just the parking and the tickets. And, you know, he, 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 that's a lot of money that we're spending on this team and we want to get it back and we want him to put his money where his mouth is. That all said, Steve Cohen is not just a, a billionaire. He's a multi-billionaire. And he's making, this is what people are missing. He's making, I'm estimating, between a billion and $2 billion every single year. Hal Steinbrenner is not. So it's another level of wealth that people just need to understand. So you took some time and knew Steve Cohen before he is this public face in New York. Now, listen. He's a public face for a lot of folks in the hedge fund community, in the Wall Street community, not my community. Like, I did not know the name Steve Cohen particularly well until he was first linked to the New York Mets. And you hear he's based off the Bobby Axelrod character in Billions. And you, you wonder how much of that is real and how much of that is like legend and, and, and fantasy. Greg, is it fair to say, knowing Cohen from his Wall Street background, and now seeing Cohen as an owner, is he acting and behaving exactly the way you thought he would when you knew, when you heard he was going to get the bets? He really is. So when he bought the team, I, I thought Mets fans were in for just a complete change, especially from the Wilpons. And you're seeing it. It took him a year or so to really um, demonstrate that money. But it's not just that he's throwing money around. He's using different techniques. There's a story that we did, the Wall Street Journal, not that long ago, showing how many people at his hedge fund, and it's a well-respected hedge fund, and manages $26 billion of customers' money. The employees, and we're talking senior people, are also, they're moonlighting and working on the Mets organization, working for the Mets organization. We're talking about in the technology area, in data, and strategy, 
also in finances and tax and that kind of stuff. That's all helping. So in other words, you've got some of the best and brightest guys on Wall Street during the day and then part-time. They're, they're making money for clients, etc. But they're also spending time helping the Mets. And that's only going to help them. So in terms of using data, Mets went from a team that really was behind the curve. And now they're at the forefront. They're on the cutting edge. That's all going to help. And obviously now he's writing checks. So listen, Steve Cohen w- was a notorious hedge fund trader. He was a famous hedge fund trader. It was inf- infamous in a lot of ways too, because his firm broke the law. And, and, and people need to remember that. They were kind of under a dark cloud for many years for insider trading. Now, Steve Cohen himself never paid any penalties, but his firm did. They paid nearly $2 billion in penalties a few years ago for violating the law. So this guy um, played it, was very aggressive, very successful, and now he's applying all that uh, aggressiveness to, to baseball. And as far as his presence... He has one. It's obvious. Like you can see it in the way he likes talking to me. He's not George Steinbrenner in the way he talks to the media, but he has no problem getting himself out there. He'll be on Twitter. He'll exchange with certain reporters that are covering baseball in town. I almost get a sense, Greg, from an ego standpoint. It like, I mean, I can only imagine what the ego is like when you're this hedge fund zillionaire that has more money than anybody humanly possible. But like because of the fact that the Mets are his team and he has this passion for it, the ego for him as being the guy to save the Mets and bring them back to prominence, I feel like it is like taking priority over almost anything that he has going on in his life, honestly. Oh, oh it's, it's heaven. It's heaven. Can you imagine having all the money in the world, billions of dollars at your disposable, disposable? And again, he's making billions a year. So you can afford any of these contracts. It's not a big deal, but you're also enjoying it. You're having fun. A lot of these other owners, sport, um, Wall Street guys who become owners, like I'm thinking Mark Lassery, he owns the Bucks. Did he grow up a Bucks fan? No, he just bought it. It was available. He bought it. It happens over and over again. They'll buy teams. They love, they're, they're enjoyable. I know David Tepper. David Tepper owns the Carolina Panthers. Hugely successful Wall Street trader. And he's, and he's determined as Steve Cohen is too. But did he grow up a Carolina fan? No. Steve Cohen grew up a Mets fan. It, 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 it's, it's not only fun, it's an opportunity for him to recreate his image. Again, on Wall Street, there was a shadow over him. He paid, his firm paid this $2 billion fine. People accused him of insider trading. That's all kind of forgotten. You get Carlos Correa, you're a Oh, hero. he's the savior. Let's be honest, Greg. When it comes to Mets fans and the way they view and the way they perceive Cohen, they don't care about that stuff. They, they don't. They're like, hey, he got me Scherzer. He got me Verlander. He got me Correa. That, that's the way they look at it. They say, listen, this guy's got more money than God. He is changing the feel and vibe. And now you, you talk to any Mets fan in my life, he's the conquering hero. And he should be. If you're on my team, that's the way I'd look at him. Me too. I write about this stuff. But had he bought the Yankees and spent all those money, I too would be more forgiving. Yeah. If he, if he gives you a Christmas present like Correa, well, if, if it works out and and Verlander, et cetera. And it's not just that. He's making this organization credible again. They um, manage things in the right way. They get Buck. They, their front office is m- much more impressive than it used to be, using analytics, getting up to speed. Uh, yeah, if you're a Mets fan, you could not care less that he was slapped on the wrist and paid a $2 billion fine. If anything, it means you know he's aggressive, hard-charging, and, and, and a sharp guy. Um, your sense knowing that you've spent time investigating Cohen over the years. The Hal Steinbrenner, Steve Cohen, hush-hush, wink-wink agreement with Aaron Judge. Because let's be honest, this is a guy who wants every player, top player imaginable. Aaron Judge was available. Aaron Judge would have fit the Mets perfectly. Aaron Judge could have been in play for the New York Mets. The Mets never even entertained the idea. Do you think there was some sort of, and it's been reported, some people say that that was a thing. Do you buy that idea that Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner kind of have like a gentleman's agreement on Judge? I don't know. It's a good question. My sense is probably not. I think Steve probably realized there are other free agents out there. You got a Verlander, you got a Correa. I'll target those guys. If there weren't other really good free agents out there, I bet he'd be all over Aaron Judge. I don't care what, what Hal Steinbrenner thinks. 
But listen, all things being equal, if he can get in a room and not upset other owners, I mean, he knows they're already going to get upset by all the money they're throwing around. They're already reports saying people are, are angry at him, et cetera. And he's like, hey, it's my team. I can do whatever I want. These are the rules. But all things being equal, if you can avoid uh, angering, pissing off a, a local owner, I, I think he does that. But again, only if there are other free agents available. Um, is there a fear? And I think it's legitimate come the deadline that there will be owners when their team stinks and they're selling off players and you're like determining between the Mets and the Phillies and where you're sending a guy. Are you going to have some of these owners you think throughout the sport saying don't deal with Cohen? I doubt it, frankly. You know what? Honestly, he's helping them all. All their franchises he's are He's putting that the pressure on them. They're all growing. They're all spending more money. It's good. To me, it's good for business. And, and they can sell their franchises for a lot more money because of Steve Cohen. So, yeah, they'll complain. Yes, day-to-day, it puts more pressure and makes it much much harder for the Kansas City Royals of the world. But the owner of, of KC can sell right now for some multiple of what he could be for because of Steve Cohen. So, yeah, there's some, some grumbling. But, no, I don't think I'm trade deadline it's going to hurt the Mets. Is he one of the most fascinating Wall Street people you've ever covered? He is. Um, he has always been very aggressive. There have always been rumors for years about him doing things improperly. He's super sharp. He hires really talented people, very hard charging. I mean, these are he's an example of these billionaires who it's not enough. He wants more. It's always more. Um, make more money, more successful the firm. And he, he's very charitable. He's not some kind of um, evil guy. I don't want to suggest that in any way, despite the fact that the government came after him. He, he's also a, a charitable guy. He does stuff um, I'm personally that I'm aware of that have been... Um, really generous to people, but there's always been this cloud over him, this uh, suspicion, because his returns were ridiculously good. He always had information that other people didn't have. He and his firm, they they focus on information, getting better information than other people. And yeah, they're going to use that uh, same approach with the Mets, but when it comes to Wall Street, it's always something that is a little bit um, under suspicion. Information um, can be obtained improperly, obviously. And there were accusations that two people very close to Steve Cohen did uh, improperly obtain information. So he is one of the most uh, interesting, uh, charismatic, uh, fascinating characters that we've seen on Wall Street in years. And now the rest of the sporting world (laughs) is experiencing some of the same. We're experiencing, obviously, here in New York. Um, From what you've been told, how accurate is the billions portrayal? Uh, you know, it's 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 like any portrayal. There's some version of that 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 is accurate, that is truthful. There's exaggerations along the way, um, but but there's some there's some essence there that that there's some truth. Yeah. Well, it was a fun show for like two or three series, and then it kind of got to the point where it jumped the shark. You take Damian Lewis off the show. There's just too much stuff on TV, Greg, and I'm watching too many sports to begin with. It is. It has faded in my queue. You know what I mean? Like, uh, why load us up? Uh, you know, down goes billions. I'm loving just I'm catching up on White Lotus. I did watch with my wife and son last night. Yeah, much better. Mike White, great writer. The second one is better than the first one for what it's worth. In my opinion. They're both great. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a little bit better. The writing's great. I love Mike White. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's doing uh, next. Yeah. Um, On Wall Street. What is what is the most fascinating? I am not a Wall I have stock. I'll be the first to admit that for my listeners who are wondering about my portfolio. There is one. It, good, it's been good. hurting over the last year. Yeah. Um, and I'm not looking for necessarily a stock tip. But what I'm looking for is the last year or two, what has been the most fascinating thing on Wall Street that you've investigated, that you've covered? It would be Sam Bankman-Fried and the FTX collapse. So here's a guy that was on top of the crypto world, but really finance. He was this wonder kid. He was this young guy who was worth um, over $10 billion. JJ, we're talking just a few weeks ago. He goes from worth over $10 billion to maybe he's got $100,000 in the bank. It's not clear. And and he was conducting what potentially is a fraud, allegedly is a fraud from the get-go. And no one suspected it. We're talking about the best minds on Wall Street all missed it. Silicon Valley, all the venture capital firms, they, they wrote big huge checks to this guy. And he's a young guy. And he had everyone enthralled and, and convinced that he was legit. And he was the future. Sam Bankman freed. And again, just in a matter of weeks, he's now compared to, to Bernie Madoff. So 
I love those sort of rise and fall stories and the heroes to, 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 to villains. And, and the fact that it happened so quickly is something I've been writing about and we're going to continue to write at the Wall Street Journal. See, all of a sudden now, I am fascinated. I am captivated because this is not my line of work. And now all of a sudden you got me like, uh, I'm in. And you know what's interesting, Greg? The Madoff story. I obviously, you know, 2008, I'm in college as all of that is going down. But after the fact, they would do these movies on it. They would do these documentaries on it. And like, I ate it up. I couldn't get enough of it. Like, because of what you hit on, this idea of prominent wealth, you have everything, but it's not enough. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, that, that angle yeah. is just fascinating to me. Oh, the motivations. Like, I've been in the office of guys like Steve Cohen, and you'd be surprised how many of them are looking on their screens, trying to compare themselves to other billionaires. And they're already billionaires. You say to yourself, go, go live on some island somewhere, cash it in and buy some uni bonds and don't worry about it. No, no, no. It's all about ego and being relevant. Why do guys like Giuliani continue to do what they're doing? It's all about old guys trying to stay relevant. And it's true of the wealthy billionaires as well. And they're as insecure as anybody else. And they're, and I get tips all the time. And then people in the hedge fund world are like, Craig, you're only writing negative stuff about hedge funds. Why do you do that? I'm like, dude, who do you think gives me these tips? It's other guys in the hedge fund world because they're so so competitive. And when you talk about finance, like I'm a sports guy, I'm an obsessive Yankee fan, as I said, what we do is not so different from what you do. It's all in my, what I write, especially what I write at Zuckerman, the journal and my books, it's home runs and strikeouts. It's people having huge successes, trying to explain how it happened and embarrassing mistakes and, and, and strikeouts. And it's the, the drama behind those home runs and strikeouts that uh, appeals to me, appeals to, to readers, hopefully. And it's not so different from the world of sports. So if you're into sports and you got some interest in, in, in finance there, it's, it's not so different from, uh, you know, pick up the Wall Street Journal, believe it or not. So basically what you tell me, it's, the, it's going from Aaron Judge to Joey Gallo. Is that a decent analogy or no? <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh, Gallo, don't bring up Gallo. That's too. Bad I was gonna so say much. I like, didn't that, want to go there. That. And then when I'm thinking the best, and I'm thinking the worst, and homers and strikeouts, it fits the bill. There did you, you ever? Yeah. Did you ever have any interaction with Bernie Madoff? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you a crazy story. It's an embarrassing story. Because now, so, now that you mention this, I'm like, I'm, I'm dying to know. JJ, someone said Zuckerman, you, bet you should check out this guy Madoff. I think is is exaggerating his numbers. This is years early, like 2003 or whatever. So this and is so, like five years before he got yes, busted after exactly. the before the financial crisis. Exactly. So I start making some calls, and I get a call from Bernie Madoff's right hand man, and they're like, "Well, I hear you're making calls on Bernie. You should come by and visit him." And I was like, "Well." I'm just starting the process. I need to take some time. I'm talking to people. Greg, I don't know. Bernie's a busy guy. He travels. If you want to visit with him, this is the time. You should come by now. I was like, all right. So I go and visit Bernie Madoff in his office. I give him a series of tough questions. I come out not convinced this guy's legit. I'm concerned about him. I'm thinking there must be something off. But what So you I had thought, some you had an inkling that something might have been up. Yeah, what I thought, and I'm not the only one on Wall Street, I thought he was front-running. Front-running means, so basically he had this investment firm, investment fund, that turns out to be a fraud. And he had a legitimate trading firm. And what I thought, and again, I wasn't the only one, I thought he was buying right in front of his legitimate trading firm. So in other words, the legitimate trading firm is trading for other people, let's say buying Microsoft, whatever, shares. So just before the legitimate trading firm was buying Microsoft for a client, his investment firm, his personal investment firm would buy Microsoft and make just a little bit and then resell it to the firm. So basically it's called front running. It's not legal, but it's also not the as big a deal. It's not a fraud. It's not, I had no idea he was a Ponzi scheme. I thought he was front running and I wanted to be able to be the one to show the world. I've broken other stories, the Wall Street Journal, how great it would be to prove this. And frankly, I, it was one of a bunch of stories I was, I was working on and it was, I had a file and it I never really got much traction on it and I got distracted and it's my own fault. And it's kind of one of these things like the, the one that got, got away kind of thing. So I did not break the story of Bernie Madoff and I, and I probably should have. And in my defense, I, I made some calls to people close to Bernie and they vouched for him and they lost money uh, like everybody else. So they, they were um, misled by him like everybody else. But, you know, it's not much of an excuse. I should have broken that story. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's crazy to think about. Yeah, and between Joey Gallo and, and Bernie Madoff, that's two 
painful conversations, my friend. Uh, I mean, in two, in two totally different ways. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm full. So basically, when 2008 rolls around and, and you get that bombshell, you weren't totally shocked. Oh, it was worse than that. I was like, my God, it was right under my nose. I had a file on the guy. I was running, collecting information, that kind of thing. And yeah, I didn't break it. I ended up writing some stories right afterwards, introducing the world to this guy, Harry Markopoulos. Maybe you've heard of him, about him, whatever. He's the one that was the real whistleblower. And then, and no one listened to him. And, and frankly, maybe the same thing would have happened. I could have written a story and no one cared. Everyone ignored it. All the signs were there, but um, the world didn't really seem to care. You know, you see the same thing with Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, in hindsight, we look back and this guy was a young guy who didn't have accounting systems, didn't have legitimate risk systems. People, I've written stories in the journal, people were warning about Sam Bankman-Fried years ago and, and no one seemed to care. So we get caught up, we meaning investors, even the biggest investors, we get caught up. We love the personalities. We throw many at people even if we shouldn't have. So we make the same mistakes that individuals do, that small investors do too, the, the big guys do as well. Before we say goodbye, I'm going to let you buy stock in one New York team right now. Take your rooting interest and your allegiance out of it for a second. I tell you right now, Greg, you can buy stock in one New York team, sports-wise. Who would it be? Oh, it's the Rangers. The Rangers have a young team, pretty good management, despite Dolan being the owner. And my God, what I would give for Dolan to sell the Knicks. They're never going to do anything with, with Dolan. Isn't it crazy, things. though, Greg, how it feels like with the Rangers, he is a non-issue yes. and a non- I, And listen, the Knicks this year, all right, they had a terrible loss Christmas Day. It seems like they're they're at least not like a total laughing stock anymore. They have like kind of. I know it's just a tease, JJ. It's just a I tease. get that, no, Greg. I'm I'm well aware. Like they have no hope of doing anything as far as a championship. But like yeah. they're yeah. not they're not the butt of all jokes the way they once were. You know what I'm saying? Right, and it's a good point. Why why the Rangers have good foundation and and the Knicks don't? I guess it's got to be just the fact that that Dolan does he even go to the Ranger games? Does he know anything about basketball? Does he try to get involved? Uh, for too long, he got involved in, in the Knicks. Uh, but the Rangers, yeah, young team. They've got assets. Um, if you go to and, and also people aren't really looking at them as a championship potential team this year, but they could put it together and the great great goalie. Yeah, I'm buying the Rangers. Thank you so much for doing this. This was a ton of fun. Um, and now, anytime I want a little uh, fun, Greg, on Wall Street, you're my guy. Okay, so don't be a stranger. You know, you can. You're welcome. You have an open invite to New York, New York, whenever you want it. JJ, I'm a fan. You know, I'm a fan. So anytime you need me, I'm here. For you. So if you need a little break from FTX and you want to talk a little Yankee baseball, uh, I know you're up late, so just shoot me a text. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I'm ready, my friend. Thanks. Greg Zuckerman, Wall Street Journal. Ton of fun. Thanks so much for doing this. Great to be here. Happy holidays, everybody. That was a ton of fun. And I am fascinated by like these rise and fall type of stories. They, they really intrigue me. And the Madoff one, that's like right up my alley. I've read a couple of books on it. I've seen all the movies and docuseries that have been done. That's a little fun little fact you probably didn't know about me. I'm into that shit. I'm into that shit. All right. Trivia time. Let's go, Larry. I want redemption. Let's go. JJ, Larry Ford. Happy days to everybody out there. Okay, here we go. And this season, the Rams have started two number one overall picks at quarterback. It's only happened once before in 2007. Who were the two number one overall picks at quarterback that year? And, and on what team did they play for? The second one is, who are the two running backs that have gained at least a 1,000 yards rushing each of the last four years? I'm out. All right. Let's go, Larry. We'll start with the running backs. 1,000 yards each of the last four years. Let's start with the obvious. Stefan, Sir Derek Henry. Mm. Wow. And that was starting with the obvious. That's amazing that that you know why? Because he got hurt. That makes sense. That that makes sense because he got hurt. Because he got hurt. Bad form by me. Bad, bad form by me. Thousand yards each of the last four years. All right, go to Dallas. Ezekiel Elliott. Whoa. This is a rotten start for me. Rotten. Rotten, rotten start. My goodness. Thousand yards each of the last four years. 
Two running backs. Alvin Kamara. I mean, my goodness. This is an ass whooping right now. This is an absolute ass whooping. Nick Chubb, your boy. I don't even know if he's been in the league that long, but I think he has. All right, there we go. We got one. Took me way too long to get Nick Chubb. All right, we got one. The other running back, I can't believe it's not Henry. Cannot believe it's not King Henry. You like go through teams. Nobody on Miami. Nobody on Buffalo. Nobody on New England. Nobody on the Jets. Jonathan Taylor. It's not Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Okay. Nobody in KC. It's not McCaffrey. He's never healthy. I'm annoyed I haven't gotten this already, to be honest with you. I'm really annoyed I haven't gotten this. Stefan, is it Josh Jacobs? It's not Josh Jacobs. Damn. Are you surprised I haven't gotten this yet? Um, yeah and no. This guy is, he's, I don't know. He's just not going to be right in front of your face, but he's a great running back. I'll tell you that. Not right in front of your face. But if you're a fantasy guy, which you are, and I know you got like three teams. I am. This guy is like a fantasy monster. Fantasy monster. Yeah, I mean, no, I haven't gotten it. I'm not going to lie. Joe Mixon. I'm taking one more guess and I'm waving the white flag here. I'm really pissed off. I'm legitimately angry about this. Miles Sanders? Who the hell is it? I have no idea. Dalvin Cook. You know what? I'll tell you why I didn't name Dalvin Cook. Because he's always hurt. And because of the fact that he's always hurt, I didn't think he ended up getting the four straight 1,000-yard seasons. Not going to lie. I'm very surprised by that. Very, very surprised by that. All right. Question two. Two number one picks to quarterback. It happened in 2007. Who were the two guys? Oh, man. I don't think I'm ever in a million years going to get this. And what team did they play for? 2007 season. Two number one picks. Is it is it Eli Manning and, and, and David Carr? You got half of the answer right. So David Carr is half right, I assume. He is half of the answer. The other half, it's on another team, but very All right, so close. So it's not David Carr with the Giants. This would be David Carr still in Houston. David Carr still in Houston, and he's also a number one pick. Number one overall pick. Quarterback. So it's got to be in like that timetable. It's got to be like early 2000s, late 1990s. No, you're a little bit ahead of You're a little bit. So it's smudged right in between the Houston Texans. And the Giants. I'll give you that. Because you're never going to guess the team. I can tell you that you're never going to guess the team. So, Carr is not with the Texans at this point. He's not with the Texans and he's not with the Giants. It's right in between. Oh, man. Okay, so it's not Carr with the Texans. Am I thinking of quarterbacks? Thinking of number one picks? I'm never going to guess the team. What team is this to find? That might help me. Carolina Panthers. Number one pick. Carolina. Is it Wanky? No, Wanky didn't go number one overall. 
It's not wanky. No, who the who was number one overall pick with Carolina at quarterback? 2007, it's not Cam Newton. He didn't come into the league yet. I got no idea. Who is it? The great Jet Vinny Testaverde. That's right. Dude, I never would have got that, man. Because Vinny played on a lot of teams at the end of his career. I remember he went to Dallas. He bounced around with the Jets. Totally blanked on Vinny Testaverde as a Carolina Panther. Not going to lie. Wow. Larry, give me credit. I got like 50% right today. Step in the right direction. Dalvin Cook's going to annoy me. I'll tell you this. Vinny Testaverde is not. Because think of 2000. I'm stunned Vinny Testaverde was still in the league in 2007. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. All right, we'll have the Football Friday pod late Thursday night. Beningo will join us. Art and Katz. You're going to need Katz fantasy finals. Wish I was a part of him. I am not. So he'll help some of you out. He'll be helping me out in the third place game. Good job by Stefan. We're back Friday morning. Enjoy your Wednesday. JJ out. Be good, everybody.